This is a Media Lab podcast. Ugh, Dave. I, I don't even know anymore. What, what are we even doing? I don't know. If we weren't stuck on this spaceship, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we might have other options to pursue meaningful lives, but... Uh, yeah. You know, it's just, it's so weird. Like, Earth is getting closer and closer through the windshield here. Like, we can see that pale blue dot get ever bigger. So I can, I can feel it. I can almost taste Earth again. And I, I just don't want to be on this spaceship with you. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I just want to be around you. No, I guess. no, that's fine. I'll, I'll take that personally. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, I'll, it'll be great, Kyle, to get off this sinking ship. I wonder if anyone thought about that in the movie we're going to talk about here this week. No, nobody okay. thought about anything. By the way, Dave, you probably should be doubly protected. So I got uh, full <laughs> rubber suits for oh, us to God. put on for the remainder of this episode. There. Double bag it. Double you bag don't it, want, man. Yeah, you don't want anything to tear. On a rinky-dig spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. My name is Kyle. Uh, and I'm still Dave. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its powers to transport across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're going to be talking about the movie Pretty Maids All in a Row. Roger Vadim, the French director who uncovered Bardot, now presents his tribute to the high school girls of America. Oceanfront High is a model school with an enthusiastic faculty, a responsive student body, and real team spirit. Too bad about the dead cheerleader in the second floor, John. Mr. Popper! Of course, a big thank you to our patrons of Green Girl YYC and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. Dave, I mean, I always say this and then it turns out that we like record for an hour and 45 minutes. So it could be the same thing this week. I just don't see how we're going to get past 45 minutes of an episode. <laughs> so a nice little aperitif for people to I'm consume here this week. What is your history with Pretty Maids all in a row? Never heard of it. And Mm -hmm. I have a feeling after we quote unquote watch it, I'll wish I still hadn't. I also have never heard of it uh, until like the machine told us about this movie last week. So the only thing I know about it is that this has Rock Hudson in it, which is, I guess, cool. Cool. Um, I like Rock Hudson, but it's like, how have I never heard of this movie before? Certainly a movie that has gained cult status or... Something that is um, uh, presented as being maybe a lost gem of the 70s. You would think that they would have some type of name recognition. So people could not possibly be lying to me, right, Dave? <laughs> I go, we really do need to open up this box 
of the machine's head and figure out how its algorithm brought us here. Because, mm-hmm. uh, Kyle, if I were to question the mind behind the selection of these films, mm-hmm. I would have some uh, brutal questions. As in, why the fuck is this movie on our playlist? You come near me and I will cut you. My hands aren't very sharp, but I can do damage. Dave, we couldn't possibly talk this season about, like, Panic in Needle Park, Al Pacino's first movie that came out in 1971. Obviously, we need to focus our attention on a sexploitation comedy. I'm using quotation marks yeah, for people at home. Yeah, big air quotes. Yep. The only thing I will also say about this is that it does, well, I mean, you have to think about it uh, as far as the nursery rhyme, of course. Right, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. You, you know this one, right, Dave? Wait, why, why are you talking? Why are you talking about oh, nursery rhyme? Please enlighten me. Mary, um, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row? That's how that nursery rhyme goes. You're like really stretching to find content for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that that phrase, "pretty maids all in a row." I don't ha- know how you couldn't somehow make it go back to this mm, you know yep. I mean? it's it's too close and similar it's it would be like i don't know i'm trying to think of it even after saying hey, it, if you, if you, named, if you named a movie if you named a movie yippee kaye motherfucker i'm like oh it has nothing to do with die hard i'm not thinking about die hard at all it's like no that's the first thing i'm going to think about because that's <laughs> obviously the most important line from that movie no i uh i get nothing even after reading it kyle mm-hmm. i cannot in any way connect these two concepts that's all i have to say about it <laughs> Well, do you want to see my cockle shell or is that off the table too? <laughs> at this point, at this point of the journey, I, I suppose the question is, how have I not seen it yet? Dave, to be quite frank, being up with you here for almost 11 months now, I mean, I'm about to use my own cockle shell, if you know what I mean. Just, very small quarters, very small quarters up here is mute. what I'm trying to say. Mute. Um, log off. <laughs> Block a number. Unsubscribe. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is what we're going to do then, Dave. Obviously, we don't have a lot to talk about to fill in this beginning part here. So why don't we do this? Let's go thank some sponsors, and then we'll come back, and we'll have a great, big, giant, deep, throbbing conversation about Jesus pretty maids Christ. all in a row. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> Just uh, oh man! Well, my Tinder dates are ghosting me. I wonder why. <laughs> what did he say? Let's talk about cockle uh, shells. What the fuck uh, is that, Dave? I'm just really scared that this episode is only going to last like 35 minutes. But again, <laughs> when we started this show, uh, we tried so hard to be under an hour, and now it's hard for us to be under an hour and a half. So I don't know. I feel like it's because we got smarter. I think we really got better and more educated. And honestly, we're probably the best people to talk about movies now. I've been doing so much reading on Twitter, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure they're going to give me a degree because I'm Mm -hmm. I'm smart. You get to do that thing that I know lots of people hate, but is one of my all time favorite things that happens in movies, which is a a slow clap. I love it. Every single time it happens, like, it thus never happens in real life, but I love it every single time it happens in a movie. Of course, I should start off our ad reads segment here by saying that Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. 
we're not on Earth right now, Dave, but I heard that there was snow a couple of weeks ago uh, in Calgary, where we're from. Oh, right. We're mm-hmm. in a time loop. I was like, that's, that's right. today. Yeah. No, it was a couple of weeks ago. It was a couple. In this deep and rich fiction. Yeah. Which means I'm sure the people at home are being like, oof, <laughs> some cold drafts going on. And those, those, that snow is causing some flickering lights. And there might be leaks coming from somewhere that they are un- unsure of. You know, you live in an apartment. If you have a leak, I'm sure your your first thought is like, the the snow is built up. Yes, yes. I was just gonna say, my first thought is, the snow is built up. <laughs> Thank you for improving with me. If you've ever wondered what's really going on in your home, then Rumi's Ask a Home Inspector service can help. You can connect with a certified professional home inspector by phone or a video call and get your questions answered. What I've been told too, I bet those home inspectors just get a whole lot of like chin all the time as, as people like walk around with like their video call phone. You've just seen good old double chin as people wow. walk around. See it? Look at this. Look at what I'm showing to you. Martha, how do you make this phone work? Those people always do Martha. not video call for help. No. But they're hip and with it, Dave. Just like the characters in this movie we're about to talk about. Oh they're my God. all that. They're with it. <laughs> Bag of potato chips. They should bring that phrase back. So Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable with a little DIY or when you might need to call in some professional help. You can visit Rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I.ca, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. Do it. Oh, my turn. Right. Yeah. So we are a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown. Is it still locally grown? It's still locally grown, cultivated, fertilized in Alberta. Community supported. Mm -hmm. So we'll just quickly talk about one of our partner podcasts. I know, partner? I don't know, sibling? Fellow fellow Fellow, content creators. Fellow APNers. Uh, And we selected randomly a podcast called The Turf. What's that about? uh, I thought it might be about uh, sod and Mm. uh, aerating. it's T-U-R-F. Yeah. That's good. good. It turns out it's about the CFL. Do you know what that stands for? The uh, 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 Canadian f- football. Oh, yes. Yes. And they're based at Edmonton. Do you Edmonton. know the difference between Canadian football and American football? This sounds like a setup to a joke. It's not. Do you know what the actual difference is? Uh, three downs, four downs. Mm-hmm. Fields um, are wider, longer, yeah, and the yeah. balls are bigger. And that's true. <laughs> I just, I don't even... I, should I do the ad read or should we just leave it at that? <laughs> Let me just, tell you about all the stuff I know about Canadian football. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. So they're talking with the Edmonton football team, I'm assuming. Yeah. Who recently changed their name all from right. a very offensive term to a, what are they called now? I don't even remember what they're called. I grew up with it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, I grew well, up with it, so it's I don't okay. Because I, uh, I don't follow CFL. What are they called I grew up. Now? I grew up calling every woman abroad. What's wrong with that? It wasn't wrong <laughs> hey, back Brad. then. Yeah, but seriously, what is up with that? No, uh, I don't know. <laughs> they can't call, call a lady abroad. <laughs> then I'm not calling a lady at all. What What are they called now, Kyle? Because I do not follow the I actually phone. don't know. That's why I was asking you. Oh. Uh, I let I'd... me look it up. Let me look uh, it up. Google it. Google uh, it. Appears to be the Elks. The Edmonton Elks. Like the you think they got antlered to that? animal. Do you think that it's like, we, we cannot possibly not have alliteration in our name? <laughs> yeah. So then they were like, okay, so... What do we have with these? Okay, well, we have eggplants. We have elks. How about yeah? What, what e? Uh, Eglantine. Uh, <laughs> Eggs. Because because we honestly remember because they could be like super big bedknobs and broomsticks fans. Wow. So why don't they just call them the Edmonton Eglantines? No, 
They could come out to oh, the Edmonton excitement. <laughs> under the briny sea. That's what they run out to <laughs> on the field. And Edmonton eggs. The Edmonton, Edmonton eggs. Edmonton. Uh, yeah, we're spending too much time on this. Anyways, do you know that my father was an elk? Uh, is this like a? Is this a it's studio like, Ghibli know, like film? Roti- not the, you- <laughs> no, it's like the um, like the Masonic Lodge and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like yeah, those types yeah. of like male things. He had to wear like this purple coat and a fez. And they have like uh, antlers. I always thought so, but no, they don't. No, it's disappointing, isn't it? Like, why mm-hmm. wouldn't you just call yourself the Fezes? We are not doing well on this ad read. I mean, this is easily five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> well, five <laughs> minutes of quality A material. I think we can all agree on that. Well, so. you know what we can agree is that I have absolutely no, I'm, uh, no idea what I'm talking about. And we should let the turf talk Let's about what they do. Thinking on. I mean, it's been a while. Welcome to the Turf District Podcast, where we huddle up and talk all things Edmonton football team. And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Andrew. I'm Superfan Mike. And I'm Commissioner K. We used to have a different name, much like the team, and now we are relaunching the rebranded podcast starting next week. We will cover player and, as it seems, coach signings team news and you know like when we play and when we actually have a team name (laughs) and we will catch up with people from the team the alumni the fans and everyone around the cfl we might talk a little bit of history too really weird plus we'll have new shirts coming too join us every two weeks starting february 2nd 2021 and every week once we have football back find us on twitter at the turf district on facebook at the turf district podcast and on ig at the turf district YouTube Live on Monday nights and the full pod everywhere you find podcasts on Tuesdays. Join the huddle and remember, you can't catch footballs with your face and we will absolutely talk to you next week. Oh, Dave. I know that you're Mr. Anti-1971. You hate every movie we've watched in 1971. It's not my fault. Everything is hateable. No, it's, well, I think you over hate things, <laughs> but we get to have a chance here for the Ugh. kind of maybe the, one of the first times in a long time where I think we're probably going to agree on how bad a movie is. Yes. Because I did not just not like this movie. I actively hated watching this movie. Yes. So this is why I don't, and I'm one of those people. I know there's a lot of people out there that love to listen to podcasts where two hosts or multiple people like just bag on a movie for like an mm, hour, an hour and a half. Mm, right. I don't. I don't really like doing these ones Too where it's like negative. both of us hates it. Right. Because it just gets a little bit like sanctimonious after a while. So hopefully we're going to pull things out that we can talk about. But oh God. just overview, Dave, pretty amazing all in a row. I don't know. What do you want to say? It's not a lot to say. It's such a bad movie. Uh, it's not a movie, first of all. Um, it's barely a movie. It barely holds together. Even on a plot level, it barely holds together. There's yes. no plot. What this, what it struck me while we were viewing this piece of shit is that this is penned, frankly, to be a pornography. And then they pulled back at the full penetration level and then <laughs> added in a shitty murder plot just so that it would get into a theater. And yeah. you brought up the term sexploitation. I, I hate the term. Uh, I don't really hear that a lot. Uh, so I guess it fits, but it's basically kind of like made for TV porno that used to be on the television at like midnight, you know, yeah. 
which yes, I also it's can, I will not lie and say that I did not partake in a few yeah. of those viewings. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, we all you know I think partake we were all teenage of boys at one time. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing about this is that uh, it sucked. That's the thing. So. Uh, I I think this <laughs> the end. We'll just quick stop. <laughs> it sucked. Yeah, no. I, there's not much I can really defend in this movie. There is one aspect of of that exploitation that that's what I want to have like the deeper conversation on. But I think this fails in pretty much every way. I yes. think most of the acting is bad. Terrible. I think it's cut together poorly. It doesn't look good. Like I said, the plot as it is is like I oh okay. Doesn't make I guess sense. this yeah. is well. It doesn't make sense. I I will say. We'll, we'll save this to the end. We'll, we'll save like the, this is how you could fix this movie. Because I think that there's there is, <laughs> there's an, a kernel of an idea that I think is actually interesting, but is not investigated. So, and then this, and I know that this is from a 2021 context. And so I always have to remind myself, okay, probably would not have been as big of a deal in 1971. But I don't even really understand the concept that is happening here. For those of you who have never seen this movie. The essential thing is Rock Hudson plays this teacher, an English teacher, uh, who no, is apparently like and a psychologist. Whatever, who cares? He's a teacher at <laughs> a school. Like it really does not matter. He's a it teacher at a school. He's got a Doria locks. It's disgusting. Um, yeah, he's a teacher at a school, and he is the campus Lothario. Yeah, right. So he's having sex with other teachers. He's having sex with women students. This shit. Okay. Yeah. What? Just giving him way too much credit. Just call him gross all right let's keep I know. going I'm, just, I'm, I'm setting this up that okay he's having sex with a bunch of people he notices a male student who's a bit of a dweeb and is like oh i should get you laid i'm like okay this is a really weird turn for this movie and then he basically convinces angie dickinson who is another teacher who just showed up to have sex with this male student and all the time i'm thinking like how like, wh why was this the concept of a movie? <laughs> and again, 2021 context, our ideas of like statutory rape are now much different probably than what they were at the mm -hmm. time. We've I been confronted know. in 1971 where certain relationships seem to be like, okay in 1971 that were like eyebrow raised. But I don't know. Everything comes off as like over, overly creepy. I don't understand why the Rock Hudson character even cares about this kid really. Why Andy Dickinson decides to go through with it. And then the whole murder subplot is, yeah, like, this is where I'm at a loss for words. Like, there's nothing about this works. It makes me angry watching it. Because halfway through, it was like, I don't, I don't get anything that is happening or why they're making these choices. Uh, if you want sort of to study shit movies for concepts like the male gaze, then you mm -hmm. watch this piece of shit. Because yeah. basically, it's 90 minutes of a perverted director and cameraman shooting teenage girls in almost no clothes or naked. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, they're probably minutes. 20 year old actresses, but yes. I don't know. Whatever. Saying. It doesn't matter. And then they live through this, uh, again, pornographic fantasy of being a nerd boy who's going to have sex with the hot teacher while the teacher and the other teacher are trying to have sex while the guy's having sex with all the girls and everybody's having sex with each other, except it doesn't, I don't know. The whole thing is shit. I don't know. Sounds like a fun time. See, I think that's the thing that I'm having the, the biggest trouble with is like, if this was a movie. That was it's just not. trying to be that like titillation. Like it is just trying to be erotic. I'd be like, okay, I might still not engage with it, but it's like at the very least, I get it. <laughs> like I, I understand what you're trying to do. I just want to do a hard pause right here because I don't know through space and time. Maybe this was a couple of weeks ago. But one of the biggest things that's being discussed that actually actually consistently gets discussed on Twitter and other places is that someone will post like 
there should never be a sex scene in a movie. It's always bad when you put it into a movie. And I am very much on the opposite way, where it's like, I don't mind there being eroticism or nudity in a movie. Or what I'll just like blanketly called horniness. Like a movie, here's a movie that does not have nudity in it. The Matrix. The Matrix, though, is a very horny movie. <laughs> Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are both hot. They're put in the leather. Like, if you talk to the Wachowskis, that was absolutely a thousand percent the point. They wanted people to be like, oh, I want to either be that person or I want to fuck that person. And they wanted it for both genders inside of that movie. I am totally down with that type of stuff. I want more of that stuff in film where it's like, yeah, let's it's OK to be horny in a movie. But in this movie, it is so unerotic of what's happening going on or it's like oh naked woman we're just gonna focus on her focus on her focus on her okay and now we're back to i guess a plot that's happening it always feels like it's this like awkwardly edited into the movie and then we have this serial murderer plot inside also of what is supposed to be a comedy <laughs> again i'm using very big air quotes here there's another somewhat recent movie that came out called freaky have you heard about this movie dave no I think it was last year that it actually came out. Freaky is essentially what if like Jason Voorhees of Friday the 13th. It isn't actually Jason, but it's whatever. It's the same thing. What if Jason Voorhees and the girl he's going after accidentally had the uh, body swap thing happen? Oh, right? I see. And now okay. the serial murderer is in the teenage girl and the teenage oh, girl is now outside the body. I brought this up before. Is this the one with Vince Vaughn in it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, I, did, I, I am one of the few people who actually didn't really love that movie very much. I love Vince Vaughn in that movie. I think he knocks it out of the park. But I only bring that up as, like, at the very least, the jokes work in that movie. Like, it's <laughs> funny. Like, it's still gory and gruesome. And it's playing around with, like, sex and violence and has a thematic point it's trying to make. And this has none of that. It's like the 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 murders have like literally nothing to do with anything that's happening in this movie and so it just feels so fractured i and one of them has to be focused on or focus more on the guy or focus more on rock hudson like i don't see where you needed both of those people mm. in this movie i'm trying to garner a, a conversation of some kind but well, I'm just i don't like, know i i'm i just i mean i guess the shocking thing is that this was penned by Gene Roddenberry, yeah. the man who created Star Trek. Yeah, some people will perhaps point at how Star Trek itself had a lot of sexualization in it, but mm -hmm. Star Trek had a philosophical sort of grounding underneath it. It was trying to present, let's say, maybe 60s idealism, you know, this idea that we can transcend barriers. I mean, you know, of course it has its own problems. It was uh, a show from the 60s. So. Right. But this movie, if we call it that, it's not even about not being able to decide what it is. It is just gross. It's, you know, I think that things like sex and violence, if they're going to be in a film, need to be there for a reason. And even if the reason is to, quote unquote, titillate the audience, that has to still be in context of whatever the movie's about. But this movie, I don't, I don't even know what this movie's about, but technically it's supposed to be about a serial killer. Um, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. And they say it's a dark comedy. It's not funny. It's not even that dark, right? It's basically literally just a shitty porno. And uh, why this even got built is beyond me. It's, it is so poor. I mean, I was even in the theater. This feels like... Yeah. Well, that's why it's, it's a good question you ask because I looked it up and yes, it was released in theaters because at the beginning of this movie, at least the copy we watched from the machine... 
it's like Turner Broadcasting at the very beginning. I'm like, oh, was this a made-for-TV movie? Feels like, but one. no, it wasn't. except the nudity. Yeah, there's no way this would have been released onto television yeah, screens in 1971. True. It looks like it was shot for TV. It does. Yeah. That's what yeah. I mean. Like, it looks like a cheaply made TV movie. Yeah. The Star Trek thing is interesting because what I kept thinking about once I saw, because I did not know Gene Roddenberry wrote mm-hmm. this movie until mm-hmm. that name came. I'm like, no way. And, and that actually kind of like piqued my interest a little bit. It's like, oh, I wonder what this is, is going to feel like. Right. This kind of comes back to that conversation we were having in, I think, the Apes episode. If you tried to do that exact same story in the exact same filmmaking style, but without like the science fiction or genre elements to it, it would be so dreary and feel like so mm-hmm. like talking down to the audience or like didactic. And this is, I feel this movie proves that to be true. Like if this were basically a Star Trek episode that allowed nudity in it, let's say, and it was like, okay, the, the team is here and they're coming to a planet and it's this alien race who uh, disposes of their young women after they've had sex once or something like that. Okay. Okay. Well that opens us up to have this conversation about like the male gaze and the disposability of young women, blah, 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 blah. But that has nothing to do with this movie. Like, there's no. no even room for that when it's played like this is straight down the middle. We are serial murderer, older guy killing these women because he's married and he doesn't want his wife to know about it, I guess. But also is trying to be like Porky's or American Pie sex comedy, sort of, with this young guy. So none of it ever comes together for me to feel like, oh, this was a quality 90 minutes I spent watching this. No, I don't, I don't know. I wonder, I don't know if you, I didn't really want to do any background research because I just didn't want to mm-hmm. ever think about this again. But now that I'm just thinking about how it was such an important part of this movie that this older female teacher is going to fall in lust with this nerdy yeah. young man. You know, is it something like, for example, they saw The Graduate was popular and they're like, we need to add a yeah. graduate type of thing in here. And then maybe there's another movie. They're like, well, we need a serial killer because that's really selling to the market. And then they're looking at another movie. They're like, well, people really, well, everybody always likes naked teenage girls. So that's got to go in it. No, but it's got to be funny because, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Nichols and May is blowing up or Woody Allen is right, coming. Right, so right. maybe we need some, com- like, this is what it feels like. It feels like they just mushed everything together. Like producers coming together and be like, we need this in the movie. So yeah. let's put it into the movie. Just a I mean, it is based on the, yeah, it is based on a book so we'll talk about that's that here in shocking just a moment. too but like that's, that's what it feels like everything is like just cobbled together in yeah. this like incoherent way in many cases yeah so let's let's do this let's just go through some of this backstory uh so pretty maids all in a row was released april 28th 1971 it is currently rated 6.2 on imdb how which basically means they hated it. I th- I always say this, but like literally, still too anything high. underneath a seven on IMDb is like basically people hate it. <laughs> no available rating on Metacritic, but on Rotten Tomatoes from twelve critics, this is rated an eight. Yeah, good. There we go. There we <laughs> Which go. I think might be the lowest <laughs> we've come across in a long, long time. I can't think of one that was that low. There we go. And then from five hundred plus users, it's rated forty eight percent. Pretty high. Yeah. Well, on the letterbox, it's like 3.1 or something. Yeah. It's shocking. Uh, It is available on DVD, no Blu ray release, but you can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can also rent it off of YouTube. Uh, As far as budget and money, I have no idea. I could not find any concrete information about how much it was made for, what it made. Its plot description this is going to grab you, Dave. Like, you're going (laughs) to really want to watch this movie. California State Police Captain Sam Searcher investigates a string of teenage girl murders at Oceanfront High School. 
I did forget that we have not even mentioned the fact that Telly Savalas is in this movie. Oh, right. As yeah. like this Kojak. police captain. Again, that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> if there's... And Roddy McDowell. McDowell's in this movie, too. Like, yeah, they have all say. these like heavy hitters. And like, you are being wasted for so many different reasons. Yeah, if there's any... If we had to really stretch and ask if there's anything salvageable, Telly Savalas uh, has enough charisma that when he's on it, he, it's fine. I'm not upset. Unlike everybody else, Roddy McDowell, I mean, he was a great ape, but his character in this is so annoying that I just, I just want to turn it Again, off. He's another supposed to be comedy, um, yeah. comedic A relief actor. type thing, but yeah, awful. Talking about those actors, this stars Rock Hudson as Tiger, <laughs> Angie Dickinson as Miss Smith. So she doesn't even get a first name. Oh, Telly man. Savalas as Searcher, Roddy McDowell as Proffer and John David Carson as Ponce. Ponce de Leon was Ponce his name Leon. in the film. Yeah. Stupid. Sorry. So, but it's Skiba. high comedy, I think, Dave. High <laughs> comedy. I just wanted to mention, the one thing I was noticing while watching this movie, I would listen to any audiobook narrated by any of the three mm. older gentlemen. So, Roddy McDowell, Telly Savalas, or Rock Hudson. Especially Rock Hudson. It's like, I just want you to read to me. You have such a great, <laughs> deep voice. It's so good. <laughs> I die for him. I'm just saying, right, Dave. I right. die for him. All right, let's cut the thirst off. This this already well, been 35 right. minutes. Hey, let's, this let's... podcast <laughs> is horny. Okay, we want to make this the horniest podcast. <laughs> Dave, tell me about uh, any of these people that you didn't research this week. Mm, not much. I mean, Rock Hudson, famous. You know what I liked that I thought was interesting. I mean, he's gay. He died yes. of AIDS, which sucks. But he was one of the first to come out and just let yep. the world know that this is a thing. What is so remarkable about that for people who might not be necessarily in the know, like Rock Hudson was one of like the big marquee pretty boys, sex heartthrobs in the like 1950s, right? Pillow Talk is one of the, probably the big movies with Doris Day. Um, so for him, not only just to say, hey, I have AIDS, but also, you know, come out as gay in the 80s is like is was a big, big deal big deal and something that i think that we haven't really touched on here a lot and who knows what year the machine is going to have us do next but if it was a year in the 80s i think one of the through lines between now to the late 70s and to early 80s is not just the the change from like let everything that you want happen on screen to a little bit more tightening in of corporate power of course but also of the AIDS epidemic and pandemic happening simultaneously to that. So people start to die and die in large quantities. And so that looms very heavy over top of whether it's Broadway, music, film, like that fear of that people were living in, especially all the writers and uh, other people that were gay and could not be out is kind of palpable. And that's why you see that be so such a big topic in the 80s, even if that's not 100% what they're talking about, that is the undercurrent of what is happening. I'm an evil machine and even I think how governments treated the AIDS crisis is messed up. It is fascinating. I mean, when we watch Sunday Bloody Sunday and we've talked about so mm. many stars, even our hated death in Venice and learning about Dirk Bogard, you know, all of yeah. the people that have to live in some form, actually so many of our actors have to live uh, not just in the closet, but under so much nuance and PR because, um, I mean, it was illegal still, right? In yeah. 71. It is fascinating to kind of come to this crux point. We're at the sort of waning of the sexual freedom, uh, civil rights movements, all this stuff. We're going to get into the disco era mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot more drugs. 
and then we're going to see it implode and go the other way and go to an age of homophobia. If you want to talk about homophobia, it's sorry to break in, but if you want to talk about homophobia, that is in part why so many people criticize disco. Oh. Is latent homophobia because it was a place for gay people to go and dance. Oh, I see. <laughs> and people fucking hated that they had a place to go to <laughs> dance. And there's a little another little knife into the side of people. People that hate disco or say that they hate disco, those are also most of the beats that are in early uh, hip hop music come straight from disco. Well, maybe so. soul music. Would hip hop even exist without disco? Yeah, a thousand percent. No, says this white guy. <laughs> <laughs> fine well if you lump funk and disco together yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll give you that but sure. um yeah i uh i think that's really interesting we spent too much time on this movie already but yeah rock hudson's a very interesting guy angie dickinson's pretty yeah. interesting she's a big deal i just read uh is it her does she have aspergers just fascinating oh, i don't know let me just quickly take a peek here she's got uh, the rumored affair with jfk which is fun <laughs> who didn't with who jfk did? Every time I see uh, JFK, what is his appeal? That he's rich? He talks weird. <laughs> Chow there. Chow there. Chow there. Um, she was married to Burt Baccarat, so that's kind of neat. And uh, let me just take Were a look raindrops here. falling on her head all the time? Or What about you? Do you have anything on An- Angie Dickinson? Not really. Uh, the only th- cool thing I find is that, this, uh, that all three of them, so Rock Hudson, Angie Dickinson, and Telly Savalas, within two to three years were all the protagonists in police procedurals. Mm. So Rock Hudson was like McLeod or something. I can't remember what his was. Andy Dickinson was in Policewoman. And then uh, Telly Savalas, of course, was Kojak, which was partly made. Why? Because of the Zodiac Killer. So there's all these little tie-ins that are happening. They're Led. much more interesting than this movie. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, So this was based on the novel of the same name by Francis Polini, written by Gene Roddenberry, directed by Roger Vadim. I couldn't find out a lot of information about anything here this week. So as much as I could figure out, the book Pretty Maids All in a Row is published in 1968. Basically the same plot line from what I can discover, but it is currently out of print. Like you can't even buy this book anymore. So there's not like this huge love for it. Uh, and the author, Francis Polini, doesn't even have like a sentence worth of information on Wikipedia. So <laughs> I don't know anything about who this person is. So basically, I don't know the what, when or why of how this book was written. What I can tell you is this, is that this movie, of course, is in that evolution of the sexploitation film. And to kind of compare this with, say, what we started our season off with, right? We started off with exploitation, And you can look at uh, how that movement in film had both like these positives and negatives associated with it. Positives being for exploitation, black actors and creators are given more jobs, more media roles than what they were given up until that point. Negative because it was basically only about pimps and criminals. Like that's what all those films were made of. Same thing can be said for a sexploitation in a way. Like it depends on what we're talking about because again, there's different versions of it. But if it's again, therefore that titillation thing, hey, women are getting more autonomy of like being put into films and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's only because you're showing breasts or you're fully nude. So like, what is the, what, what is good and bad? The idea of sex comedies though, had been around of course for decades. Rock Hudson was in one called Pillow Talk with Doris Day back in the fifties and is the foundation of what we now call the romantic comedy. Um, but as the studios crumbled and the ratings board wasn't exactly in the best of shape at this point. The FBI was out of people's hair for the time being. As we've seen in 1971, people were trying just a bunch of things 
before the industry basically reined everything back in at the end of the decade. So one of the films that is seminal in this history is something called I Am Curious Yellow. So yellow is in brackets. So it's like, I am curious, yellow. I'm a little worried. Yeah. <laughs> um, I only know about this film based on the name um, and that it was, of course, as I know everything and how I get every reference, it was parodied on The Simpsons oh, at one brother. point. But that movie, I Am Curious Yellow, came out in 1969, Swedish, and it's a very weird movie. But part of the plot is a young woman who describes the sex she's had with the 23 different partners in her life. Nice. Um, a lot of nudity. And apparently at one point, it's like this doctor in a white lab coat comes in and talks about <laughs> sex and all this other stuff. Anyways, this movie got taken all the way up to the Supreme Court because there was a group that complained that this was, well, pornography, but uh, but obscenity. That's what it was. It was challenged for, obs- for violating obscenity laws. The wild thing is that the Supreme Court came down on the side of the movie and basically said, well, because there's a guy in a lab coat this is an educational film more than it is <laughs> Perfect. a sexually explicit film, which I'm mean, like, A, I don't think this movie should not be like made or released in theaters, but also that's kind of a bullshit excuse. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> they, it gets struck down. This, that, that ruling, though, has a huge effect on Hollywood because this now blows the doors open for being like, oh, well, if they're allowed to show pornography in the Swedish film, why can't we show stuff in our own films? And so for a while, I forget what my research was saying. It was like they called these like lab coat pornography where it was like uh, just a guy in a lab coat would come out and thing. be like, see, it's not pornography because there's a guy in a lab coat. But really what they did was like was allowing softcore pornography to be shown to a broad audience. Like it could be released nationally. Hardcore stuff. If we're again talking about like we're going to show penetration and all that kind of stuff. We're still only being released into porno theaters. A very small select uh, group of people who go see that. Um, and for private collectors. <laughs> I just want to be very clear. For private collectors. I am the biggest private collector. The early 70s of course saw a huge proliferation of this idea of like let's just show breasts and, and, and other naked people. Again I always find this. You can tell who who was running Hollywood and the, and the decision makers because it's always naked women. It's not really like naked men oh, that yeah. you're seeing running around, right? Yeah, actually, that when when does that change? Like, the I mean, 2000s? to be honest with you, I don't even think so. So, Dave, I don't know. I I like, of course, I have seen naked men in a film before, like yes. in a one released by Hollywood, but like I. It does not happen all that often. Like, I can't no. think of in the last like two years, new movies that have come out. I've probably seen, I don't know, two or three movies with naked men in it and never with like an erect penis either. You're not allowed. Yeah. I mean, that's the line. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when it does happen, it makes pretty big news. Like, like, uh, who is it we were talking about with the naked fire, fire wrestling scene in the year before? What episode? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But that's like considered a a historical moment in film Mm -hmm. because you had two naked men wrestling in front of a fire. Also called My Christmas Eve. But, uh, <laughs> that's pretty par for the course to have naked women wrestling in front of something these days, you know? So, you, you know what movie it was actually that is just so clear as day as being, it's, I mean, it's not the first or anything like that, but as I was graduating university, being able to go and pick the movies I wanted to watch and see a lot of them in theaters, did you ever watch Walk Hard? The, the oh, movie with, with uh, D- uh, Dewey Cox. Um, Dewey Cox, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like Phelps, the, no. 
John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Yeah, yeah. Who, which is like the is basically like a, a mocking of like the normal musical biopic, yeah. or biopic. Well, that's the one where Joaquin just played. Uh, Walk, yeah. Uh, uh, Walk the line. No. Walk the line. Yeah. With Reese Witherspoon. I always bring that up because there is a scene in Walk Hard where literally he he's on screen and then it kind of pans over and it's just a guy's penis, <laughs> and it stays there for like forty seconds. It stays there for so long. And he's just like talking with the, this guy's penis there. And I found it so funny at the time. It's like, but also shocking because like I've actually never seen this in a movie yeah. before. Like this yeah. feels like so like, I don't know, transgressive or something like that. And it's like, but why? Why should it be? Why is it that we, we never see peen, but we always see vagina? Anyways. Yeah, this uh, male gaze thing. It's uh, fast. Mm. That if we were smart, that would make its own. I mean, there are books written about this, about the influence, uh, you know, colonial influence, the misogynistic one. And we have all male writers, male directors, male industry people. All they want, I, g- presumably heterosexual, small-minded male people in charge of the production of these things, then they're going to assume the only thing that'll sell is stuff that they want to see. Yeah. And we're finally seeing that uh, thaw a little bit, but it is... Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm getting old and prudish, but I just, I can't handle it anymore. And I feel like... So you can't handle what? Like uh, the uh, the objective, like sex for no reason, nudity oh, for yeah, no see, reason, right? Yeah, like yeah. we've talked about this several times. Why am I watching what's supposed to be a slapstick comedy and there's like a three minute, you know, f- woman full nudity. Right. It has nothing to do with the humor or drama or something. It's It's just weird. And I think that, like you said, when it's contextualized and it's important to it, if you're watching the HBO shows and they're supposed to be out sex, I won't watch it, but that's fine. You can watch your vampire sex shows mm. or your dragon <laughs> sex shows or whatever the sex shows that they're producing on HBO. You know, uh, your mob sex shows, your dragon sex shows, right? your curb your enthusiasm sex shows, you know, all that sex. HBO stuff. Uh, I just, I don't know. It's weird. I just want it to mean something, Kyle. Or uh, well, yeah. the internet's free. If you need, if you need to just uh, service yourself. Just go surf, give your information to uh, to Russia, whoever's producing all the content, and uh, take care of yourself. But why is it in a feature take film? Care. Right? <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, the, the only thing I'll push back a little bit, and it's not even sex scenes. I, again, I keep coming back to that Matrix idea. It's like, I just want there to be this feeling of eroticism sometimes, because I feel like that has been seeped out of m- movies. Like, I always come back to the Marvel films. And again, Marvel fanboy, I'm like a, an apologist for like, Basically, up until Endgame for for that whole series. Is there ever time? And yes, there's people like that kiss and stuff occasionally in those movies, but that's also not happening a lot in those movies. And none of them even feel like sexualized. They're, they're sexualized at all. And it's like you have literally Captain America with like muscles on muscles. You're telling me that there's not going to be women like ogling him or or looking mm-hmm. at him, and like, yeah. that that's yeah. kind of seeped out of that. Same with like Black Panther or any of these other movie heroes because in the, in the comic books there is that sense at least i'm growing up in the 90s there was a lot of it that was brought in there yeah. a lot of for the women but also for the men too where it was like yes they are heroes they are saving the world but also they're fucking hot and let's like focus on how hot they are <laughs> yeah there's a reason why every superhero in comics is dr- you know dressed without any clothes on right. in a spandex suit of some form or fashion i mean yeah like you said there is but that's the thing there is implied meaning in it. We're arguing that now and there's a lot of sort of cancel woke commentary about how women in comic books need to be like have different plots and we have to rewrite. Mm -hmm. Are they making like a black Superman movie? They're trying to make a female something. And some of the purists are like, why don't you just give them a different name? 
Like, why can't you just have somebody to represent? Sure. Like I mean, Black Panther a, came out and you're like, this guy's- That's a completely different conversation, but yeah. Oh, but I think sure. it's the same tone. It's like, mm-hmm. if it, there's a purpose to it, then, you know, should we have strong female characters? Absolutely. It, does that mean that a story that traditional- Oh, the one that's pissing me off right now is people are trying to cancel Dune. Because <laughs> like, it's a white series. It's like, yeah, it is. It was written by a white dude in like the 1950s. You know, it's- Well- Watch a different I, I, movie. I'm one of those people- no, that, I'm, yeah, that, I'm I'm sidetracking because I don't want to talk about this sidetracking, but yeah. just just very briefly on that on that Dune discourse. It's hard because if you are coming in to the new Dune that Denis Villeneuve just brought out in the theaters, it is only the first half of that book. Yeah, so it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, another white savior story that does this, this, and this. Because yes, it is, but also in the second half, it subverts that trope. Yeah, and you haven't gotten to that point yet, so. I can understand why it's hard because like, well, just wait three years and you'll see that this is like setting things up. And it's like, it's the same thing that people go like, oh, just wish, watch the first one and a half seasons and then it gets good for this TV show. Yeah, and yeah. like, yeah, just waste the 15 experience. hours of your life to get to the, the good stuff. So well, I, I kind of understand their, their criticisms there. This is why people should read more books. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, movies are great, but this is why adaptations for the large part never hold mm. up to the source material because you also have to squeeze it. I mean, this, I don't, I don't want to talk about this movie, but this is the problem with movies like this piece of shit is, uh, this one is like 10 minutes of not even material, but of some plots stretched out into 90. And then they just filled everything else with uh, teenage girls that have no clothes on. Right. And something like Dune is like taking, what is that? A 350 page book and trying to condense it into 200 minutes of di- like shit dialogue. I haven't watched it, but it's hard. You know, all these yeah. things are, they're not uh, not that straightforward. So I don't know how are we talking about this. Doesn't what are matter. we talking about? Well, this is the thing. We're gonna now bring in another person to this story, and that is Eugene Wesley Roddenberry, <laughs> which is his real name. We, he initially wanted to become a police officer of all things, and he did, spending his first year and a half as a traffic cop before being transferred to the newspaper unit, which I have no idea what that means. Propaganda, baby. I write police propaganda on the weekends. Um, but eventually, he'd be hired as the scriptwriter for the police chief. So he was writing the inter or the uh, speeches for the police chief, which then led him to become hired as an advisor to a television show called Mister District Attorney, which just sounds like a a fake t- TV show, something, like in the Simpsons like episode yeah, or I was something. Say, sounds very Simpsons. Yeah, Mister yeah. District Attorney. He's bitten by the entertainment bug. He starts shopping around with some other ideas he has for television shows. He wrote for a few and eventually sells his idea of this science fiction series to Desilu Studios. That, of course, was Star Trek. So we're not going to get into the history of Star Trek because that is its own kettle of fish. A wormhole. That's what that is. A wormhole. Sand wormhole. Uh, Wrong book. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but here's the, the very brief overview of that original series. Incredibly popular first season. Okay. Uh, second season. And then because they moved it on the schedule, poorly rated third season is canceled. So that is the history of Star Trek. But then inspires literally every piece of technology that we use today. Yep. <laughs> it is really from Star Trek specifically. That was in 1969. Same year he goes through this awful divorce. He's feeling dejected, and he doesn't want to become typecast into creating science fiction work. So his friend, Herbert Solo, or Solow, I don't know how to pronounce his name, eh. who had been working for Desilu, had recently gone over to MGM 
So basically as a favor, he hires Roddenberry to write a script or actually more appropriately rewrite a script that had already been written for Pretty Maids all in a row. Gets paid $100,000 for it. Pretty sweet. Pretty nice. Um, and not to get ahead of ourselves, though, but Variety writes about the movie. Whatever substance was in the original novel or screen concept has been plowed under, leaving only superficial one joke results. There's jokes in this movie? Apparently. Roddenberry would eventually, of course, do very well for himself. But if you ever want to be warned off using hard drugs for a long period of time, read up on how he dies because it's not fun. <laughs> Director Roger Verdeen. I'll look it up now. Oh, it's, yeah, not a very poor, poor last few years of his life. Ooh, look at these drugs. Which is also, like, again, not to get into the history of Star Trek, why the first season of Next Generation is so weird, because he was literally out of his mind trying trying to do things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Roger Vadim is, of course, French. He starts off as a screenwriter in France. He gets into a relationship with Bridget Bardot, so good for him. And after a few successful films as a screenwriter, he does his first film as And God Created Women, which starred Bardot in 1956, and that's a huge success. Launches his career. He continues making movies, many of them overtly sexualized. He is quoted as saying, when I make a picture about relations between people, something erotic comes through. I can't help it. But sex has been an inspiration, the greatest inspiration, since art began. In the late 1960s, he marries Jane Fonda. So this is a nice follow-up to Clute from last week. Uh, He marries Jane Fonda in, in the 60s, which is how she comes to star in the movie Barbarella which is one that he directed right before this, based on a French comic book character. Uh, I have never seen that movie. Have you seen Barbarella? I just, it's all I know are the parodies. Austin Powers, yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah. only thing I know about Barbarella is uh, what they, it's been made fun of it. So he's coming off that movie. This is him, his first time working with Hollywood. And by all accounts, kind of a bad experience. One of the reasons he took it was because there was no role for Jane Fonda, who he was estranged from at this point. So she wouldn't be asked to be uh, cast in it. Weirdly enough, though, Bridget Bardot was going to play the Angie Dickinson role for a minute and then could not get out of her contract. I think I just said, uh, I think I just read Joe Namath was supposed to be. Uh, that is wild. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be Tiger. Yikes. So anyways, he he fought to as much as he could with that because apparently MGM kept giving him notes upon notes and he fought and caved in for this and that uh, and was released and then received poorly by critics. So. Maybe he should have fought more. I don't know. I don't know if his like, initial vision would have made this movie any better. Who knows at this point? It, it, this does feel like we haven't talked about anything, but like... That's what this Literally, movie is. if you yeah. are listening to this and have never actually watched this movie, it is a dreary 90 minutes of nothing funny happening, statutory rape happening consistently over that time frame. What? And it's, I don't Here's know. It's, nothing, I mean, it's a nothing movie, Dave. It's a nothing yeah. movie. If we try to shelve the term statutory rape, in the sense, in the context that 1971, it's not in bold. And we, we're so aware of how problematic that is in today's modern society. Even so, the idea of a vice principal or a team coach in a high school with a door that locks and a fucking do not disturb neon right. sign on the top is already fairly psychotic. I mean, you, you, it just doesn't make any sense. He doesn't teach any classes and does psychotherapy on these women. But he's cool, Dave. He doesn't wear <laughs> shoes and he sits on the ground instead of his sofa. And it's just such a weird idea. Like, why, the whole time, he, if I please don't watch this, but if you ever have to, it's, yeah, 90 minutes of just why. I, I just kept asking myself, why is this happening? Why? There's not a single thing that makes sense. 
Yeah, like this is the difference between young actors starting out today in many cases who are then forgotten about in three years because they're trying so hard to like be cool. And something like Bill Murray get a different time, different context, but at the same time is still looked at as being like cool because he doesn't care. Right. <laughs> like he's just straight up does not care. I and mean, there's something interesting about that. This whole movie feels like someone coming in like, what's cool? What do the kids like nowadays? Yeah. We'll give them to say hip language. It sounds so awkward anytime someone tries to sound cool in this movie. Yeah. There are these attempts of being like socially relevant. Like there is like one class that's shown for 30 seconds and they're talking about like, can you like cops? Aren't all cops conservative? I'm like, oh, this is maybe really? going in an interesting way. I didn't even notice. I, was, I was in the middle of a sigh. <laughs> Pro- I mean, again, my it is, roll it so, is so quickly and it never comes back to that yeah. conversation ever again. So it's not like it's even trying to delve into that there's like a dukes of hazard sheriff who like like, why is he even in this movie is it supposed to be funny it's just there are things i think is like i think i can see how this is structured as a joke i know dave you're like so dismissive of this like i didn't even know it was a comedy i think you can tell it's trying to be funny in some cases i just don't think it is funny at all like did did you you know the time that rock hudson drank a bottle of coke it was so bizarre. He like chugs Chugged it. He's just thing, like, right? blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. Why is Why? he doing this? Yeah. And then it's that was like, when he was trying to thirst trap the teacher, right? When yeah. he's like in his short shorts and pretend. It's like that uh, they make fun of it now, where like Ron mm-hmm. Burgundy, where he's right. counting his push ups. I mean, it's stupid. He, he says some things like, Angie Dickinson is trying to seduce him. What's up with your parents or something? Like, don't your parents care? And he's like, my mother's rich. My dad's dead. I'm like, oh, I guess it, like a better actor, he could have made that work and made that like no, land a little bit so, more. But it's like, sure. okay. Maybe even Dustin Angie, Hoffman. Even Angie Dickinson, who's what? Probably in her 40s at yeah. this point, is like super Like there's that one point where she's like leaning down and it's like the camera's like pointed up and <laughs> showing her ass. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. All Rubbing right. her ass on there. him when he's in the class. Or they I, sit on the chocolate bunny and it explodes on his pants. I'm right. like, all right, here we go. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like, I, w- I was this way, honestly, a little bit with American Pie, which you actually liked more than I liked it. My threshold for like sex comedies is so high, I guess. It's like, if the jokes are working, I can kind of forgive a lot of stuff. But when nothing is working for me, I'm like, just stop trying to be funny. At this point, just be a drama. Because yeah. like, I can't stand you trying to be funny and not being funny. I mean, that's the thing. You know, if you want to throw as much young, naked women in it, at least have a purpose for it. Even if the purpose is for titillation. This movie doesn't even do that. It's not particularly erotic. It's not exciting. It's not well-written. There's no dialogue. There's nothing. It's just nothing. It's just so much nothing. Yeah, the worst thing about this, this I I wrote this on Letterboxd right after I watched this. It's like, I never knew that I was going to hear Rock Hudson talk so much about a teenager's boner before. Like that scene goes on so long about him talking about this kid's erection. And like, it's like, actually he might be impotent. So if you can like seduce, I'm like, just who cares? Like, yeah. oh my God, why do you care so much? And then like the full twist at the end is like, now the kid has become the Lothario. He's probably gonna go murder these women too. And it's like- I was gonna ask you like, is this actually this is a movie about grooming? It's just embarrassing right? for everyone involved in this. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's uh, the real question, Kyle, is it this or Million Dollar Duck? Which is the worst movie you've watched? Million Dollar Duck, I think, is still worse for me because I know you said that this isn't a movie. At the bare minimum, 
the bare I'm, minimum. I'm already I feel wincing. like there's a three-act structure that I could cobble oh, out of this. On. Whereas Million Dollar Duck is just like, there's nothing happening here that leads <laughs> from one scene into the next. No. Like, there's no flow in that movie. Yeah. You also have to say, you actually watched this whole movie. You did not skip the last 20 minutes. That's so. true. I mean, yeah, fine. There were moments where I walked away from it. For a 90-minute mm-hmm. film, I think I took four breaks. I have a lot of notes, but all my notes are, why? What the fuck? Why? What am I How watching? Do I have to keep, yeah. We're done here. Okay. Well, let's do this. There's no reason to belabor this point anymore. Yeah, the machine has said that we long. should wrap yeah. this up. So here are what some of the critics said. Uh, Roger Ebert did review this movie. He also did not like it. The movie itself is finally embarrassing. It's embarrassing because Vadim's personal hangups don't fit the nature of his material. And so he tries to bend things. Vadim is more interested in sadomasochism than any director since Louis Brunel. And when he indulges his interests in a straightforwardly decadent movie like The Game Is Over, it halfway works. But high school football players and pom-pom girls aren't an appropriate background for decadence, which tends to look sheepish in daylight. So that's how he wrote about this movie. Wow. I do not understand a, th- a single thing that he just said, but I'll agree with it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it doesn't matter. So um, I, Pauline Kael did not review this movie. She has self-respect, mm-hmm. which I respect. So here mm-hmm. is a somewhat recent, I think it was from 2010, a somewhat recent review from Fernando F. Croce from Cinepassion. Wow. A scalding satire and, all things considered, a remarkably fecund work. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the word fecund means, Dave? No, it sounds, sounds dirty. Uh, means fertile. That's what that means. Mm-hmm. So it's a very fertile work, Dave. It has so many discussions you can have about it afterwards. You can easily fill an hour-long podcast episode. Sadly, I think we will. Most of that is ad reads, though. So, I mean, it's not... <laughs> Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? No. Those are the questions we always ask. No and no, no from me. No. But this is the thing that maybe pressured the machine to choosing this movie to talk about, Dave. Do you know about Sight and Sound? No. Sight and Sound is a magazine, a film magazine that has been around for many, many decades. And since 1952, every 10 years, it does its Sight and Sound poll, where it determines what the greatest films of all time are. So it's sent up to a bunch of people in the industry, as well as critics. And uh, basically how it works is if you were given a ballot, you just list 10 of the movies that you think should be considered for the best of all time. And then they tabulate all those votes. It's really fascinating to see how the list changes over time. How some movies like come on it for one year and then 10 years later, it's not there again. And then how some films like Citizen Kane has been there since 1962, has been on every list since 1962. So its most recent one was, of course, in 2012, um, which doesn't mean actually next year we're going to get the new sight and sound mm-hmm. polls. We'll see what is now on the list. But as of 2012, the 10 best movies from 10 to number one. Eight and a half, Pretty Maids All in a Row. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Eight and a half, The Passion of Joan of Arc, Man with a Movie Camera, The Searchers, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Sunrise A Song of Two Humans, The Rules of the Game, Tokyo Story, Citizen Kane, and Vertigo. So those are the 10 films. It was actually a big deal at the time because it was the first time Vertigo had hit number one. And actually the first time in like, Five decades, The Citizen Kane was not number one, so it actually dropped down a bit. So why am I talking about Sight and Sound? Well, the fact is, is that Quentin Tarantino was given a ballot, and one of the films he put onto his ballot 
was pretty maids all in a row. No, that's not surprising. And this is why I can't watch Tarantino movies anymore. He's, uh, he's an egomaniac. And he probably always was, but there was a time when he would craft stuff. But now all he does is talk. And this is such a Quentin Tarantino movie. Everything I don't know. He, like, everything I, he talks I about is always like, it's got to be ultraviolent, shitty horror, or it's got to be pornography. That's his influences. I don't even think that he means it. I think he's taking a piss. Honestly. I think he's just fucking with people. I, I don't have that derogatory of an opinion on Tarantino. I think... I think certainly there are certain impulses that he has that he leans into a lot more. I also think sometimes he overuses his knowledge of cinema to make him sound like much more important or much more smart than maybe what he actually is. Pretty sure that's what I just said. Yeah. (laughs) What am I saying is like, I still like his movies. The weird thing is I still like all his movies, some more than others, but I mean, I still enjoy the pastiche and his references and uh, usually enjoy the performances. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last, oh, Hateful Eight which mm-hmm. by the end I didn't want to watch anymore. But, you know, it has great beats. He's, he's not a bad filmmaker. I just think he's right. full of himself. So All right. I feel like he's well, taking a piss. Yeah. But I did see his name mentioned in some of the reviews on Letterboxd, and that's why I realized it's getting over-evaluated now because his I think so too. Voice, I think that's yeah. the only reason people are checking this out is because yeah. of Tarantino putting this on his list and people are like, I've never heard of this movie. Let this me go check it out. Great. I'm going to make myself like it because Car- that's, that's the hard thing it. too. Is like yeah. sometimes people do convince themselves, oh, this has to be great because my favorite filmmaker says that it's great. Yeah. And I'm here to say, it's like, if you don't like it, you don't have to say it's great. You can still like that filmmaker. You just don't have to like the stuff that they like. Yeah. You're just um, wrong. Whoever, whoever wrote that review, you're wrong. Don't watch this movie. Don't watch this. <laughs> it's bad. It's a bad movie. So don't watch it. it there's so much better oh, ways to waste your time than to watch Pretty Maids <laughs> all in a row. Just subscribe to Apple Arcade. There's lots yeah. of apps that could waste watch time. Watch The with. Devils. Go and watch The Devils. Right? I mean, there's a movie with much more egregious sexual mm-hmm. content uh, yeah. that actually you can talk about for two hours. The power of Christ compels you <laughs> to go and watch The Devils rather than Pretty Maids All in a Row. Oh, um, I am guessing, Dave, just just based on you know the past we're probably getting a lot of negative comments on youtube about this one <laughs> i'm just gonna no. say we don't like it so it's like no you're all wrong I'll, you know what man. i'll do i'll put a, a picture of quentin tarantino with a fucking x over his face that will Rock cuts in his hot so this movie's <laughs> great I'm like all right great well if someone made that comment we could still agree with that right mm-hmm. every time a hater leaves a comment i become more powerful so this is what Dave and I thought about this movie. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar a month, something that you can do. Oh, by the way, as a bonus this week, we are watching every month. We, of course, watch another movie over on our Patreon feed. It's bringing out the dead this week. That's going to be in that feed. A movie that you and I have not watched yet, Dave, but absolutely is no way could be worse than this movie. So at least that would be something to go and listen to. (laughs) Wow. Ominous. Ominous warning. We've not watched it yet, Dave, so we don't know. Maybe there'll be a preview at the end of this episode. I haven't decided yet. Um, Anyway, something that you can do for free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Let's get into the rating of this movie, Dave. We have to rate this out of five. What are you rating this movie out of five? I'm going to... I want to go 0.5, but you're right. I didn't turn it off. 
So I might go with 0.75. Am I allowed to do that? Or? <laughs> no, you have to do 0.5s. So if you can, you can do a 0.5, that, that is something yeah, you can do. Yeah, let's do a 0.5. I hated this thing. And I really You're right. It. Maybe Million Dollar Duck was worse, but we would have gone to minus numbers for that. So let's do a 0.5. This movie okay. yeah, should be stricken from I, the record. Uh, I also really hated this movie. I the yeah, thing is, is that I I I I leave the point five ratings for something that is. I, I know you're going to say that this is how this movie is, but for something that is so egregiously morally bankrupt, mm. or something that I think is so shoddily made that it's just shocking that it's released. So if you go to my letterbox page once again, you can see like the ten movies I've given a point five star rating to. I like this slightly more than I liked Million Dollar Deck. So. Uh, I'm giving it a one. I'm giving it a one out of five, which uh, is very low for Kyle Marshall here. If you're new <laughs> to the podcast, <laughs> yeah, all the Tarantino fanboys are definitely coming after you, mm-hmm. Dave. This does mean that it's going to tie with one other movie, which is Death in Venice. So, would you put this above or below Death in Venice? I think below. I mean, as offensive as the pretext and like all the stuff of Death in Venice, at least it's shot beautifully. Right? Yeah, at least it's a movie. It's a film, yeah. and it's it's just I don't know if it's because we had to contextualize it or just watching an old man try to molest a young boy is mm-hmm. unwatchable. But it, that filmmaker made a film, whereas this is it's dumber. And it's not nearly as uh, yeah. morally offensive, but it's just bad. It's just a bad yeah. thing. I, I always do that thing. It's like the A-B test. Like, if you were given those two choices, what would you choose? It's like, I'm not going to like it, but I'll watch Death in Venice again. Yeah, absolutely. Ever, ever having to watch Pretty Maids all yeah. in a row again. Yeah. Well, that is our second worst movie, according to us here, Dave. <laughs> so it's entering our list at the number 38 position. Good. Only going above Million Dollar Duck. Let's find out what we're watching next week, Dave. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Push this button. Ooh, no whammies, no whammies. Okay, Dave, um, apparently we're in this string of movies that are just like super long titles. All right, let's do it. Because <laughs> next week we are doing Throw Away Your Books, Rally in the Streets. That's, that's, we're that's a title I don't of a movie? I don't know what that is, Dave. I literally do not know All what right. that is. Where do you come up with this shit? M- the uh, machine, machine does. The machine right. makes it. <laughs> How do you even hear about movies like this? Like, what was the name again? Throw away your books. Throw away your books, comma, rally in the streets. Wow. Is it a documentary? I don't know, Dave. <laughs> I've never seen it, so I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right. All right so, so I'll do that. And um, I think I should grow that uh, Rock Hudson stash. Should I just... I don't know. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> no? Please? Please, No. I don't know. Sounds like a fun time. Just in case you're not a supporter over on Patreon, here is a little bit of a bonus to hopefully entice you to see what is happening over there. Um, the other bit of trivia that I just love. <laughs> this is the last movie that was ever released on Laserdisc. <laughs> I just love that little fact that this of all movies is the last movie ever to be released on Laserdisc. <laughs> I, I love the fact that I'm old enough to have held a laser disc. I have never actually yeah. held a laser disc. I, I, they're I, huge. I know, they're gigantic. Yeah. They're like bigger than records. Like they're huge platters. <laughs> yeah. But the fidelity, man, the thing. fidelity is there. 
I would love to watch one now and just be like, oh my God, what is this? So blurry. Um, Apparently Tom Sizemore, Mark Anthony got into a fist bite on, on set. Um, they did not like each other. I mean, Tom Sizemore, I don't think is a person that gets along with a lot of people. So, oh, uh, that's a big thing. Mark Anthony because uh, he beat up J-Lo. That's true. So, that is true. Yeah. He's kind of an asshole too. Tom Sizemore is, uh, he beats up his women too. So. So really upstanding gentlemen is what we're trying to say here. Yeah. Nixus Cage and Patricia, Patricia Arquette were husband and wife while filming this and have no chemistry on screen. It's so say, wild. You cannot tell. Yeah. There's a reason why they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. She was watching him act. She's like, I don't know how I got involved with this guy. Blah. Yeah, and like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> uh, this is the only Suicide movie from the 90s that had no Oscar nominations, though. Every one of his other ones at least got something. The screenwriter, Paul Schrader, wanted Edward Norton to be in the main role. Edward Norton would have been yeah, great would have been in this, too. too. 